And yet the biggest responsibility that is by society seemingly ignored is the responsibility to live a life that you're proud of and live a life that you choose. The Next Level Life podcast by Christine Corcoran is for all heart-centered entrepreneurs who want to up-level their mindset, motivation, and business to make a positive and meaningful impact in the world today. So if you love what you do and want to hear from inspiring thought leaders and successful business owners, where we have real conversations and real connections, then this is for you. I want to assist you in finding the clarity and awareness you need to uplevel your mindset and set your soul on fire to take massive aligned action in your business so you can take your life to the next level. Ready to get started? Let's go. Welcome to the next episode of the Next Level Life podcast. Today, I cannot wait to introduce you to my beautiful guest, Elizabeth Ann Walker. Elizabeth Ann Walker is a visionary and founder of EAWTC, which is transforming the lives worldwide through her groundbreaking personal development company. As Australia's top integrated NLP trainer, she has shared stages with renowned leaders like Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, Robert Kiyosaki, and worked alongside people like Gary Vaynerchuk, Elena Cardone, and Kerwin Ray, and so many more. With 25 years of experience in her life, life-changing emotional change technique, Elizabeth empowers individuals to unlock their potential for profound growth. Today, we talk all about how to lead and build a multi-million dollar business with love, to grow in a way that you get to create success on your terms, not on society standards, and that you can do business in actually in a feminine way. We also have a huge conversation around NLP, what NLP is, who it's for, and some of the key lessons that we've both taken away from being an NLP practitioner for so long. We also explore the practical strategies that she puts into place for from her learnings from NLP and how it can actually change and transform your life for the better. So let me introduce you to the beautiful Elizabeth Ann Walker. It is such a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today, Elizabeth. Thank you so much, Christine. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to speaking into some beautiful things that are on my heart that I know are important to you as well. Absolutely. So I have been following along your journey, but I would love to hear it from your words. So tell me a little bit about where you explored NLP right from the beginning and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, this is such a massive part of my story. So I had a great childhood and I know that there's a lot of people that come on to podcasts and they're like, I have this terrible story. I had a fabulous childhood, had a beautiful family. I had everything I needed and desired and it was great. And what I didn't have was education in relationships because my parents had such a great relationship. Like I never, ever heard them argue or disagree or anything. I had zero uh, skill in how to build relationships on a romantic level. So I was great with friendships because that was modeled really well to me. However, relationships, I just thought they worked. I just thought you love someone and then it worked and you didn't have to do anything. And so life was great until I got married. And I got married and we had different ideas. And the the very first thing was it started with sheets. My family had always bought beautiful sheets. And we'd moved into this new house. We had all these beautiful gifts given to us from a wedding registry. So we had, you know, we and we literally got everything. We got the fridge, the lounge, the dining set. We got everything and we didn't get any sheets. And so we had to buy sheets. 
And I just went out and I bought, you know, very nice sheets that were probably at the time, and we're talking 1996, they were probably about $400. And I came home and I got absolutely torn to shreds by this person who's supposed to love me of being disrespectful, spending too much money, and then trying to justify that, hey, if you have great sheets, they last for 10 to 15 years. Whereas, yes, I could have gone and spent $20 on Kmart sheets. However, they would be dead in six months and have holes in them. And it, it was that was the beginning of me noticing that there was something really different about us. And our values were very, very different, super far apart. And within a year, it had turned into an abusive relationship. Wow. And that continued for 13 years. Uh, the end of which my children and I were rescued by a helicopter, police in a helicopter, off an island in the Whitsundays. Um, We'd gone there because I thought maybe if we got rid of all the stress of life, it would be different. Uh, He had a great time. There were plenty of young girls on the island for him to feast on. uh, And I'd like it just got worse for me. And so we were eventually rescued. We were taken to a refuge in Mackay, looked after, brought back to my parents, and I had to reevaluate my entire life because all of a sudden my life, like my, what I'd left the last time I'd been with my parents was basically perfect. And what I'd come back with was the horror of what reality can be. And it probably took about three weeks. Like I, by the time I got to my parents, I was sleeping in their room because I was petrified. I was wetting the bed. Um, it was a really horrific time of, self-discovery and learning how to be who I wanted to be now knowing that I had both sides of the equation it wasn't you know life wasn't just all roses and life could be really dark as well and it was like oh my god like I don't know who I am I'm upside down and you know literally the feeling of overwhelm in its true sense of the word because overwhelm means your boat is turned upside down and that's exactly how it felt and so I got on with it and I was like, okay, cool. I've got the two little boys. I need to look after them. And I went headstrong into work and ran the masculine energy really, really well. I was working as a nurse. I was doing double shifts when I didn't have the kids working as much as I could when I did have them and looking after them and making sure that we had enough. And there were weeks where even when I, like if I was sick or something, I couldn't work where it was like, how am I going to feed them this week? And I really got to see that other side of life. And whilst my parents were supportive, I was also being headstrong there going, no, I need to learn how to do this for myself. Mm. And so deeply in that masculine field, worked really hard, worked my way up at work to running one of Australia's biggest birth centers because I was a midwife uh, and equally then did some cool stuff at uni. So I developed Australia's first stillbirth Um, care pathway for women who had lost babies and so that prior to developing that pathway about 70% of women went home not knowing why their baby had died and after the a year after implementation 98% of women went home knowing what had happened and the Mm -hmm. other two percent within three months and so that was an instrumental piece of research that I participated in with another lady called Sue Heath and from there it just was like everything was about work it was just work hard work hard work hard I then got a teaching position at the University of Sydney teaching medicine so I was the first registered nurse 
to teach in the Faculty of Medicine. Um, so that was a pretty big honour, mm. teaching obstetrics and gynaecology. And I had a position at uh, Western Sydney University as well for teaching nurses. And in terms of career, it seemed to be going well. In terms of my life, it was tumultuous and, you know, the transition from that masculine energy drive, drive, drive in work back to looking after children led to a lot of fights as my boys became early teenagers. And, you know, then they wanted to go live with dad. And that that led to my eldest son um, becoming a drug addict. Uh, he went to dad's, dad didn't notice. He became very involved in drug use. And eventually I'd like, there's a bit of, we'll just leave that for now and we'll come back to it. So I then decided, okay, it's time to get serious. I need to meet someone. I want to have a relationship. I don't know how to do it, but let's just try. So I went on Tinder and um, that was at the advice of a surgeon that I worked with. And he's like, just go on and it'll make you feel good. And it was great because for the first three months, I wasn't going to go on any dates. I was just on there and people were saying how great I was. And I was like, this is so great for validation. Like, I don't even have to think I'm great. They all think I'm fabulous. You know, put a few pretty pictures up and you're great. Uh, and it was a real ego boost. Again, still very much in the masculine. And then all of a sudden I get a message from Simon, my husband now, and it's like, hey, I'm really interested in connecting with you. I'm out with friends. I'll message you next week. I was like, what? Like, okay, whatever. Like everyone else wants to have sex with you right now, but this guy wants to talk to me next week. All right, we'll see what happens. Um, and then we met and it was perfect and beautiful. We moved in together three weeks after we met. Um, mm -hmm. And it was very full on, but it was very, this is exactly what we want. So let's just go for it. What I hadn't factored in, though, was those relationship skills again. Only this time I was with a very masculine man who was very, he owned himself, he knew what he wanted, he knew what I, like what I wanted, even though I didn't know. And it, the very first thing, like whereas the last time that first thing was don't buy the sheets, the very first thing this time were those two things. We went to England together and he carried my bag and I said, hey, that's mine. I'll carry it. And he was like, I'm I'm going, taking you to England. Like, I'm carrying your bag. I'm like, okay, I don't know how to handle this, but it's mine, so I'll just take it. You know, like totally independent, very in control. Uh, and then the next thing was he took me to a dress shop and he bought, like I tried on a dress and my, you know, my method of operation had been, I go to a dress shop, I try on a dress, I look at the price, it's too much, I walk out. You know, this time I tried on the dress, I said I loved it, he he looked at it and said it was beautiful, and then I took it off and he said, pass it out, and I just passed it out, assuming that the same thing would happen, I'd walk out and he'd say, you know, do you want it? And I'd just say, no, no, no. By the time I walked out, he had the dress, the handbag, the shoes, like the whole outfit, and it was already paid for, wrapped up in a, in a box. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, my God. And there were vibes of control, right? There was this feeling of, oh, is this the same of, as the other one? Is this not the same? Doesn't feel the same, but it looks the same. Yeah. Yeah, you know. And despite him being beautiful and doing multiple things like this, I refused to enter the feminine. 
And so then the universe being what the universe is, decided it would force me to. So I got very, very unwell. Uh, I had 47 operations in a three-year period. I lost the use of my right leg. Um, so my femoral nerve was severed in a bot, like a, an accident in an operation. Wow. And I ended up in a wheelchair for two years, unable to walk, unable to lift anything on ridiculously high pain meds. Basically, I had to be in the feminine because I had to rely on him for everything. Yeah. Um, I was really sick. I died. I clinically died three times and was revived. It oh, was wow. like, you know, I, I was pretty stubborn and the universe was like, no, this is how we're doing it. And and now I'm super grateful for that. <laughs> However, at the time I was like, this is too much. I just want to die. This is not fair. I've had this horrible husband who was someone who, you know, I should have left and didn't. And now I've got this husband who does everything and I'm useless. You know, the first one I did everything and I was a great wife and the second one I'm like, far out I'm useless this isn't fair how is it fair mm. that this beautiful man ends up with a wife that's essentially useless and so the self-deprecating started again and I got to the point of refusing to eat because I was like I just need to die and I don't know how to do it because I'm too useless it's not like I can walk anywhere to go do it so I'll just take you know take the pain meds and not eat and I should be okay it should be slow and painless and it'll be okay and he noticed, of course, and it was literally as he was late, like sitting beside the bed saying, you know, I love you. This is real. I'm going to stay. I'm not going anywhere. At the same time that that was happening and him begging me to eat so that I could stay alive, um, my best friend rang and said, hey, I know you've been down. I've got a ticket to Tony Robbins um, and my mum can't come. You'd have to pay for it. Do you want to come? And I'm like, oh, look, you know, I can't, I haven't worked for two years. The kids' school hadn't even been paid the small fee that it was. Like we had debt, we had 50 grand worth of debt from all the things that I, my income couldn't pay for while I was sick. I said, I can't do it. And Simon said to me, you know what, if this is a chance to sort out what's going on, let's just do it. We'll just put it on the credit card and we'll do it. He's like, what's the worst thing that can happen? We go bankrupt. And I'm like, that sounds pretty bad to me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> For him, it was fine. And so I went and I got wheeled in in my wheelchair, which was kind of cool because I got a comfy seat and everyone else got plastic chairs. And probably a great spot too. <laughs> yeah, it was a reasonable spot. And um, got in there and the music was blaring. And, you know, on the first night you do that beautiful fire walk. And I get wheeled up to the fire in my wheelchair by one of the crew. And I'm like, these people are mental. Like this thing has rubber wheels. This is not like, this is not going to work. And somehow I got to the edge of the fire. I stood up, I made my move and they said, go. And I walked across the fire. I'm like, and I got to the other side and I'm like, and I just kept walking. <laughs> and the people are like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm walking. And they're like, you're already over the fire. I'm like, I know, and I'm walking. And they're like, what? And I'm like, I don't know. What did you do to me? Like, how did this happen? I, I'm walking. And it didn't make sense to my nursing brain either because, you know, if you have a severed femoral nerve, your leg can't work. And so there was like this miraculous thing happening in my body. And I was like, this is so weird. I need to know what this is. 
And at the time, that was when Tony Robbins still talked a lot about NLP. And I realized that it was neuro-linguistic programming and that somehow enough of what had happened on day one of that UPW had rewired my brain and somehow used accessory nerves in my leg and let me walk across that fire. I left my wheelchair at the event and wow. I never went back in it. Like it was awesome. incredible. And that was the point at which I decided that I needed to learn NLP. What was it? And I went and sought out a trainer that I felt that I resonated with and I learned it. And I was like, okay, well, that's cool. There's a lot of information, not a lot of practical. Um, I don't know. Like, I think I can do this better. <laughs> and so I started a coaching business and I made about $50,000 in the first eight weeks. And when I say the money, I want you to think about the impact of that. So, yeah, that, you, were 50K. Like, you know, nearly 20 people had signed up to work with me and it's huge impact. And I was like, wow, this is like nearly as much as I make in a year in nursing. Mm. And I've done it in two months. Like, and I'm helping people still. And I'm not bound by the system mm. where I can't help past a certain point. And I was like, okay, let's we maybe dive into this a bit more. And so I kept my uni teaching job, but I left my nursing job and then slowly built, well, not really slowly, quite quickly built my coaching business and then decreased my uni hours. And from there, I was like, after about a year, I'm like, hey, you know, I can, like, I'm doing really well, but all the other people that came out of my cohort from NLP are not really doing that well. They're all still in their problem. They're all still got limiting beliefs. They haven't implied, they haven't implemented this as a lifestyle. They've just learned the information and gone, great information, and then put it in a box and not used yeah. it. And I was like, there's wow. a way that I can teach yeah. people better. Like I can do this much, much more effectively for people and I can help people do what I did. All I need to do is translate that into some techniques so that I can teach the NLP techniques and the extra techniques that I've used and how I've done it. And then people can model me. And so I went ahead and I did that and we opened our own business and we're now, I think seven years since I did NLP. So we're about five years into the training business. Um, we have a multi seven figure business. We impact thousands of people every year and it's all because I said yes to learning something different in the beginning. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I love that. What a story. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> but I, I love it how you're like, you know, everyone in the coaching industry has a sad sap story and whatever. <laughs> you're like I didn't know I had a great childhood. I was exactly the same. Like when I went through my training, I had the exact same experience and it was like, Oh, actually my upbringing was pretty good. Um, but I still have shit to work on. Right. Like I think that's a lot of the time. Yeah. People often think that they're like, oh, no, no, I had a great childhood. I don't have any trauma, but it does not necessarily mean that you don't have stuff to work on or that you could be doing something really differently. Yeah. And the yeah. thing with trauma is that it's kind of like having a baby and a lot of people have a baby and they go, my baby's great. It sleeps through the night, but the hour that it cries every day is hell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then there's someone whose baby's up all night and they love it because they're a night person and they don't feel like they've got any problem at all. Trauma is something that's very individual and trauma doesn't have a rating scale, you know, trauma, like just because it sounds horrific socially 
it doesn't mean that that has affected the body or the mind in any worse way than someone calling you fat or someone poking fun at you. Like every level of trauma is the same. It's just that person's experience of it. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And so, okay, so I have so much to dive into in in the whole part of your story. So I'm like, okay, where do I go? So, firstly, like I had the exact same experience with my coaching experience as well. In um, like ha- walking away from it and going, I'm implementing this. Like I absolutely like love this. It's not just about knowledge. Like how can I live this? How can I embody every part of it? Because I was seeing such incredible results not only for myself, but also for my first original couple of clients that I work with that I was like, this is the bomb. Like, how do I tell everyone about this? And I think sometimes like it was really hard to see other coaches like not embody it. And actually, because it felt like it was like, this is the magic pill. Like, why aren't you doing this? Like, come on. Um, so yeah, it's so fascinating when that happens. Everyone has a different journey, different experience. But I think I'd love to just touch on firstly is can you describe in your words what NLP is for those people who are listening to this that have no clue what you're talking about? Um, because yes, like the Tony Robbins experience is always so phenomenal, but I think people from outside are like, this is so crazy. This is so woo-woo, right? Like I have been twice now to UPW. I took my mum and one year and it was so amazing. And and she walked on, on hot coals as well. And it was so funny actually leading up to it the day of, she was like, oh no, no, I won't be doing that. Like, oh no, no, I won't be doing that. Um, that you guys do that. I won't do it. I'm like, yeah, cool. No, it's your choice, mum. It's absolutely your choice. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. And in the exercise, I'm not sure if they did the same one that you were there, but the exercise just before it, they partner you, you partner up with someone and you basically have to convince them of something yeah. and like influence them in some way, right? And so she partnered up with this lady who was similar age to her and basically convinced the lady to do the fire walk and in the process convinced herself. <laughs> <laughs> so great. So I don't good. do that exercise anymore. I've been nine times now and that, yeah, they don't do that one anymore, but they did do it the year I went. Yeah, it was so good. And so and she, we were like, you've had six babies. You can walk on a few foot of cold, like you'll be fine. Yeah. And she did it, it was, and it was phenomenal. So I think like for those people who are listening that are like, this sounds amazing, but what actually is NLP? Yeah, so I'll give you my version of it and then I'll give you something that makes sense. Okay. Um, <laughs> so for me, it's choosing your reality with volition, Love right? That. It's how do you choose your reality with volition? Uh, what what does it really mean? Neuro meaning the brain, the mind. Uh, linguistic, the words that we use both externally, however more important internally. And then programming meaning the kinds of programs we have accepted or grown up with as true. So when it comes to something like the truth, I think there's your truth, there's my truth, there's no the truth, yeah. right? Um, because if you give... 10 people a video of a bank robbery and ask them what happened, they'll all have different responses. There's no such thing as the truth. And so when we talk about neuro-linguistic programming, we're talking really about what is the mind listening to in terms of the words and how does it then filter that through the programs that you've accepted as true? So for example, some people grow up with I'm not good enough as a program that they believe is true. And so then that creates this filter on everything that they hear. And they say things like, oh, that's good for you, but I couldn't do that because I'm not good enough. And so what we do with NLP is we deconstruct the programs that are not useful for you and reconstruct ones that support you moving towards a goal. 
Yeah. Love that. Love that. So good. And so well explained. I love that. So with your programs, like obviously like doing, I did it as obviously becoming a coach, but it's not just for coaches. Like it is absolutely not for coaches. I actually think that it's, it should be a manual given to every single human being. And I think it's an awareness around like actually understanding yourself on a whole other level, but also understanding how your brain works. Like I think that's one of the biggest things that really resonated with me so much through learning NLP was actually understanding that you are not your brain and that your brain functions in different ways. And when you're aware of how your brain functions, it allows you to be conscious of that in order to make a choice instead of it just being completely autopilot, right? Yeah, like our brain is not geared for success or productivity. It's geared for protection. Mm. So we have that beautiful thing, the amygdala or amygdala, however you want to say it, that sits inside our brain. And it's it, that's our animalistic brain, right? And we respond, fight, flight, freeze, or please, depending on how activated our amygdala is. And with that, that is related to our programs. So if our program says that we can't do anything dangerous because it's not safe, then our amygdala has a much lower tolerance for stressful events and it will fire off and create these potentially devastating effects for us because it's geared towards protection and it'll believe the programs it's given with regard to that. If we want to move our brain towards success, we have to learn how to deregulate our amygdala and actually start using our brain effectively through taking appropriate risks. And I say appropriate, right? This is not about getting a motorbike, riding off a cliff and hoping that you land. This is more about how can I take a small risk of doing something differently? Simply brushing your teeth with the other hand is enough of a risk for your brain to go, oh, we can tolerate this getting out of bed in a different way like if you get out of bed every morning you throw your if you sleep depending on which side of the bed you throw that outside leg off the bed and then you sit up then your brain thinks that that's the only way to get out of bed because that's the program you've given it however what you can do is just change it up at least once a week you should get out of bed a different way Mm. and that might look like rolling on your stomach and then sliding out the bed like a kid would do Or it might look like standing up on the bed and then jumping off the bed, depending on how high your bed is. Like you can get out of bed so many different ways, yet we tend to fall into these patterns because our brain is there to function as this unit that takes things from the conscious and puts it in our unconscious and stores it there. Problem with, like that's really useful for things like driving, right? When you learn to drive, it's like turn the steering wheel five degrees to the left, come back 20 degrees to the right you're really conscious of exactly what you're doing. And then we relegate it to the unconscious mind and it keeps the program for us. The problem is if the program's not useful and it's something like I'm not good enough or I can't do that or I'm too stupid or I'm not loved, then we also create that with normal things that we're doing and run that as a filter. Mm. And it happens so quickly. I think that sometimes people don't realize how quickly they they get into these habits of thought or habits of of behavior that impact their life and without actually being conscious of the impact of it. And I think that there's not only just from like your upbringing, I think that's why I think we we need to question that obviously of like, well, hang on a minute, like that's the way maybe mum did it or maybe that's the way that dad did it. But is this the way that I want to do it? And is it actually working for me? Because it maybe worked for them or didn't actually work for them, but you still adopted it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like a lot of people say to me in, in trainings or before a training, they say, you know, you, you just don't get it. Like I had a terrible childhood. I, you know, and there are some stories that are really horrific that we hear, 
However, there's a point at which you become an adult. Mm. And at that point, you are given responsibilities. Like you're allowed to drive, you're allowed to drink, you're allowed to vote, you're allowed to do all these responsible things. And yet the biggest responsibility that is by society seemingly ignored is the responsibility to live a life that you're proud of Mm. and live a life that you choose. And the reason it's like that is society, it's actually, it's actually not beneficial to society to have us be free thinkers and (laughs) Um, you know, the whole school system is geared towards programming people to be workers in Mm. a functional society. And whilst that was really necessary after the second world war, it's not as necessary now. Mm. Yet a lot of the curriculum hasn't changed since the second world war. And so what we're doing is running these old programs and one of my clients the other day said to me, you know, Liz, they're trying to convince me that my son has either autism or Asperger's or some kind of ASD and at home he's normal and I just don't get it. And I went, okay, I said, well, ask for them, ask them, can you go in and spend a day in the classroom? And she did go and spend a day in the classroom and they were doing these literacy groups and the teachers just put out an activity and told the children to do it. But they didn't give them very much instruction. It was something they'd never done before. And this client of mine was sitting there helping the kids. And as soon as she helped one, every single child asked for help. And she loved it from her perspective because she was like, oh, they're all the same as my son. However, what she found is that they'd never been given instruction. And she said, you know, I wonder, are the teachers really teaching or are they just doing tasks? Mm. Now, this is just one school, one classroom in one school, right? So we're not talking about every single classroom in every single school. However, it was really apparent to her that the teaching part had been left off and the experience part was there. And she's, she's a teacher herself in a sport and she said, you know, if I did that to my clients, they'd all fail. Yeah. And she said, and whilst not all children failed, because some just naturally picked it up, she said, those that are failing are not failing because they're dumb or they have a disorder. They're failing because they didn't hear the instructions in the language that they use. Yeah, 100%. And it's like, okay, cool. And I'm like, you realize this is the basis of NLP, right? And she's like, I know. So now how do I fix it? And I'm like, <laughs> that that's your business, not mine. Yeah. So, it's so yeah. funny. The other day I actually heard a podcast and they were talking about a study that was done on like an organization that was trying to find more geniuses. So they were thinking about it from the perspective of like their future employment. Right. And so they were yeah. like, well, where do we start? They actually started at five-year-olds and they were like, find five-year-old geniuses. And what they actually found that, that the group of pe- the group of children that they studied in multiple different schools they're like at five, 90% of them were geniuses. And then after that, they went back at like at age seven and then age nine. And it just went down and down and down. It went to like 50%. And then it went to 40%. By the time they got to like 16, it was like 2% of them were geniuses. I'm like, yeah. what is that telling us? Like, that's obviously not working. And I, I had that experience with my son, actually. He was very smart as a three-year-old. So his IQ was done when he was three which is the early, I think it was three, it might've been four, whatever the earliest age you can do it from. And he had a score off the charts. It was again done at uh, five and a half when he started school because they noticed that he was different, still really, really high. And by the time he was nine, normal. 
Wow. And it's like, okay. And now he's back to having a lot of intelligence and that's after drug use as well. Cause he didn't stay a oh. drug addict. He actually came to NLP and sorted out his life. So and, good. and it's a, it's a real thing that we have to be so mindful of programs. And I believe that you can still have your kids in school. And if your programs at home are strong enough, then children will be adaptable and they'll yeah. be able to function in both worlds. Yeah. Super important. Yeah. And so I'd love to know a little bit more about like speaking to the people that are listening to this are like, oh, I would love to learn NLP. I would love to know what that experience is of being in a training. So you can tell us a little bit about that of like what that looks like for your people. Yeah. So it looks a bit scary if you look on our Instagram um, <laughs> because the things that we can publish are not the deep dives into people's experiences. There are a couple of those there. However, a lot of the time people say, oh, I don't want people to see, you know, I don't want the public to really see all that, you know, about me because we get a lot of high profile people coming through our trainings who in the training, there's confidentiality agreements and all that kind of stuff, but they don't want that published. So you see a lot of dancing published and we utilize dance in our trainings as a form of modeling and also changing our physiology. It's important that in order to be in a state, we change our focus, our physiology and the meaning. And so the physiology, we often change through dance. Yeah, uh, We occasionally do it through exercise as well, which is unusual for a training room. Our trainings are fully immersive. So they run from like 9 a.m. in the morning till 10 or uh, probably 10 is more common at night uh, with just an hour, not even an hour, 45 minutes for lunch and a small dinner break. And a lot of people coming in are like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stay up that late. I don't know how my food, how I'm going to do my food. And it's like, they say about Tony and just doesn't happen. <laughs> it's fine. Right. And, and, and I always say, you're going to be fine. You'll have more energy than you've ever had before. And they're like, no, and I'm like, it's true. You will have more energy than you've ever had before. And then they come in the room and they leave going, that was the best. I wish it could have gone for longer every day. And the, the thing is, is you've been doing things the same way for your entire life. When you step into a training room, if it's exactly the same and you go to a training and it runs from nine to five in a corporate environment, then you're not changing anything. Exactly. You're not doing anything differently. And so our training has lots of unexpected surprises in it that are put there to throw people off what's normal and to go, okay, mm -hmm. so there's this whole other world that we don't even know about. Um, and for some of some people that happens in the spirituality work that we do, they're just like, oh, wow, like I didn't know that even existed. For some people it happens in the masculine and feminine work we do where they suddenly realize that they've been avoiding women friendships their entire life, for example. Um, for some people it happens in the actual NLP work that we do. So realizing that they've been thinking a certain way for all of their life and that there was this whole other opportunity to think differently and we we have between 50 and 100 people in our training so it's quite a nice cross-section of society so we get people who are you know just finishing school right through to people who are 85 we get people who are in corporate roles we get people who are entrepreneurs we get people who are healers we get everyone and you get this cross-section of society that makes you go wow they think really differently to me and it's an opportunity to expand your awareness. And rather than saying this way of thinking is wrong and this way is right, 
It's more about how can I be more flexible to be able to utilize all of it so that if I meet a problem, we, we talk about representational systems, right? So how does how do people think? And if I meet a problem in this way of thinking, how can I quickly adapt and utilize a different way of thinking so that I can see a different opportunity or hear something a different way or feel it in a way that makes me want to do it, right? Yeah, and that's that. the piece I love the most is the transformation that occurs through their flexibility of behavior. And it brings a whole other level of compassion to humans as a whole, right? Like I think that that's the beauty of it. Like I was talking to a client about it the other day and she was saying how like she gets really angry at other people that are doing things differently the way that she wouldn't ever do it that way. And I was like, that's okay. They're just doing things the way that they need, they know. Like that's all they're doing. They're doing the best that they possibly can with what they have. You don't have to feel angry about it. You just have to recognize it is something of difference. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we just get so caught up in our own way of thinking that it can be really hard to see other people's way of thinking. And I think that that just brings a whole level of compassion to the human human race, really. There's a lot of compassion and there's also a lot more opportunity. Yeah. If we always do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always got. And if we if we start to go, okay, how can I be curious and we allow that curiosity to run for a little bit, we may find that there's actually a better way than our way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, what I love in my business now and what I hated in the beginning was when I first started growing my business, I got to this, this point where it was like, I'm going to have to let go of control to let someone else do this so that I can focus on growth and expansion. And in the beginning, they took way longer than I took. And it's really like, so for any business owners out there, if you're just starting employing team, they're not dumb. They're not stupid. You haven't picked the wrong person. It's just that initially they're going to take time to get it right. Yeah. And they're never going to do it the way you do it. So just be happy with 75% of what you can do. Hmm. Be, be ecstatic at 75%. 50% is acceptable. Yeah. And don't let it be a reason to take that back off their plate and keep doing it yourself. Like that's not correct. (laughs) Correct. You just have to keep, you may go through a few people in the beginning because you want to get to people who really resonate with you and have the same mission as you. And, you know, you may find that the person you thought was that is not that once they start working for you. However, there was this element of, you know, let go and see how they do it differently. And at first, the first thing that we did was we hired a marketing manager And I had no idea about marketing. I was just really great on social media. And in those days, it was great to be great on social media because not that many people were on it. Now it's a flooded market. And thank God I have that marketing manager because she's still with us and she comes up with different ideas and different things to do all the time that are spectacular. And they're so not what I would have thought about, yet they are exactly what I want. Yeah, wow. That's awesome. So knowing, you know, the same with finances. My husband used to do all the finances in the business. And I think it's important to do your own finances initially because I think you need to make sense of mm. how your business is working and what your numbers are. However, he used to hate it. And then I used to yell at him because if he got something wrong, it's like, well, you told me this and now we're here. What's going on? And when we handed off the financial management and we employed a CFO, that was the best thing that we could have ever done Because each week we just get a report in our email and it's just a report and it says all these amazing things and you go, wow, this is so incredible. And I don't have to look at a spreadsheet once. Right. It's even so 
it's so great. It's even so great that they send it to me in color with different colors for different things because I'm very I'm visual and kinesthetic. And I'm like, I want it to feel good and it has to look good. And so I'm like, I get this report in color and it's fabulous. They've worked out between the marketing manager and the CFO, they've worked out that if they need to show me a spreadsheet, that it has to be completely color-coded and it can't look anything like Excel. Because oh if I look like Excel, I just run away. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh my God. That's so me. That is so me. <laughs> yeah. And so they've worked all that out, but I didn't have to tell them that. They just you needed time in the business to get to learn me and to learn the business. And now they do it and they have just as much ownership. And the way we run, I have no idea how I got on this tangent and I'm going to keep running with it anyway. So if I forget to come back to the original point, someone can write us later. Uh, And they, they know it so well. We have a beautiful shared model of wealth in our business. So anyone that works in our business can have their own business and they can have a business within our business. And so they all get paid. We have, you know, profit shares as well in our business. So people in our business get to enjoy the rewards that we have. And the people who've been with us the longest, which is the CFO and the marketing manager, they have only just now fully realized the mission. So even though they were reaping the benefits of it, our marketing manager, for example, has now created her program and and had a program the whole time, but she's now got her signature program. And the program she used to run, she's handed on to a new member of the team. And the way that we share wealth, she gets a portion of the sales from that and she doesn't have to do anything anymore because all she had to do was work it so that someone else could run it because it doesn't make sense for you to run everything yourself. It's actually not the right way to do business that you'll just get stuck. Yeah, And so by handing things over, we financially reward that. And the person who's running that program is stoked. She's making so much more money than what she did before. Equally, our marketing manager is making money and I'm still making money. And so that shared wealth model works really well for us. And it means that everybody gets to live a life as an entrepreneur, even if they're an intrapreneur. Yeah, love it. That's so good. And it's like a win-win-win. Like how else obviously improves the retention of them staying with you for longer they stay passionate about what they're doing they can drive like and follow other passions like oh it's so good love that our accountant calls it golden handcuffs I don't particularly like that term (laughs) however it works yeah love it amazing and so I'd love to talk a little bit more I know that we could talk about literally all day but I want to talk a little bit more about the your passion around driving not driving I should say but running a business with love so um if anyone jumps onto your social media they're going to see most likely the reel that went kind of viral with uh Gary V and talking about how you've really run your business with love and he gave you that permission to be able to do that can you talk us through a little bit more about that yeah, so I had the privilege of going to a small event run by Gary V in Australia in 2019 where 30 entrepreneurs, they were supposed to be million-dollar earners and above. Um, our business hadn't quite hit a million and we were lucky enough to get an invitation. At the time, uh, it cost $25,000 and we had $4,000 in our bank and I just paid the $4,000 and then said to them, well, what do I do now? And they said, go make it. And I love it. That's so good. I made it work the day before the event. And so it was a really, you know, am I going to get to this or not? And it was, it was three days of deep dive with Gary V, very close one-on-one contact. And we had lots of dinners and lunches and things like that over those three days. 
And at the time, there was a lot of people earning 30 to 50 million in the room and they were asking sort of high level technical questions and it all seemed really money focused to me. And I sat there and I was like, this is not how I want to do business. Like I don't want to, like I love Gary Vee. I like some of the brands that are in the room, but I don't, I don't want to just be all about the money. And I, and I was making decent money then. Like, you know, we were just under the seven figure mark and it was like, I don't want to be all about the money. And I put my hand up and asked him a question. And he, before he answered the question, he said, just this question, all of you, and he pointed to all of the higher earners in the room, should listen to someone like this. And at the time there was a bit of an ego, like, ha ha ha, I'm, I'm as good as you, you know? And, and that made me feel good. But what they did is it actually allowed me to go, hey, what I'm doing is okay. And I don't have to run it the way you guys are running it. I don't have to be all about what the profit is for me. And that's why we run that shared wealth model is because I want to see my marketing manager's kids go to whatever school she wants to send them to. I want to see my CFO's mum be able to come out from England whenever she wants to. I, I'm all here for the joy and the love. And so when Gary said to me, you know, you do it that way, just run it with love because what you love will be what other people love and they'll resonate with that. I thought, okay, so this is going against every other piece of business advice I've ever had, but he runs a really big company and he has a chief heart officer in his company. Her name's Claude De Silva and she came on that event and she spoke. And her role was everyone that joined VaynerMedia, she had personal contact with. She would set them up with a mentor to help ease them into the company. She would do meetings with them at one month, three months, and six months to make sure they'd integrated into the way of Gary's company. And this is stuff he doesn't really talk about a lot. And so I was like, well, he's actually doing it. So how can I do it? And I'm only small, so I don't need to have someone checking in but I can do it for now I can be that person that makes sure everyone's okay and I love people the way he does so I started running it with love and the first year that was great the second year it was hell and it was hell because I loved too much and that led to a lot of haters and me you know I created a level of dependency in some of my students at that point where I went okay I want to love you so I'm just going to help you and instead of getting them to do it themselves, I was doing it for them. And then if it didn't work out, they blamed me. And so particularly with private clients. And so I moved away from that and went, okay, how do I love them without having to do it for them? How do I love them enough so that they can borrow belief to be the best versions of them? And so we moved into that in end of, well, it would have been the end of 2020, I think. Um, and we moved into that and our business just grew and grew and grew. And we have, you know, an in-room events business by writing, you know, I was like, how would I approach this in love when they started doing lockdowns and things like that? And so I was like, well, if I knew them, I'd go and talk to them, but I don't know the politicians. So how about I write an email and just be really heart-centered in my email? So I wrote an email that granted us permission to stay open and run our in-person events the entire time through COVID. Our business grew 300% every year through COVID purely because I wrote to the premier of the state and told her what we do and why it was important. And she said, yes. 
that also allowed us to get people we're in Queensland so it allowed us to get people over the border when the borders were closed if they were our student they just needed a letter from us and they were able to come in and study with us and so it's about thinking differently and going what would love do mm. you know love would write the letter and love would re respect whatever answer love got however okay how do I step more into this and so our business grew and grew and grew and the one thing I say to all of our students, and there's a lot, like we are in over 43 countries now, um, you know, we have big impact now. I've spoken on stages with Tony Robbins, Richard Branson, John D. Martini, Les Brown, Brene Brown, Lisa Nichols, like, you know, name it all, I've, I've worked with them and, or worked alongside them, I should say. And if you ask me who's my favourite, it's always going to come back to Gary because some of those really big names they don't talk to people mm. they don't even talk to people who are on the same stage now not not all of them right but there's a couple and you kind of go oh okay and you know Tony Robbins absolute hero I love him he's amazing he saw me at UPW this year he came up he gave me a big hug and a kiss and everyone else in the audience was like oh never wash your face again and it's like I actually know him so it's cool and and gross and, yeah <laughs> He was very sweaty. He's always very he sweaty. <laughs> yeah. And and um and Gary V though, it's just this place in my heart where he has such presence with people. And I was like, okay, I just need to be really present with people. And I say to all of our students, if you have a problem, just message me. You know, if you can't get anyone in my team, just message me. I'm I actually still, even though we've got a multi-million dollar business, I am still in my socials. Yeah. I, I want, want to know. Like, I want to hear it. Like, yeah, I, I on Instagram, I, I definitely have a VA in there. However, the minute that someone writes back, it's me. You know, the VA just does outreach. And, and she's beautiful and I love her for it. However, I'm the one who responds once someone writes back. And I say this to people and they find it hard to believe. They're like, because in their model of the world, they're just starting out. They don't have time. But I've got time. I've got people doing the work for me so that I can be free to do the piece of business that I love, which is really connecting with people. Mm. And I think the hard piece of this for people who are just starting out or who are, you know, sort of sitting in that five to six figures in their business and it's really new, the thing they think they don't have is time. Yet actually there's so much time. And if you feel like you don't have time, it's time to actually give someone else an opportunity within your business yeah and it doesn't have to look like hundreds of thousands of dollars you know the first few people that we had on board were contractors that were getting 20 dollars an hour because they were they wanted to be part of the mission and when you're heart driven and heart led people want to you know walk alongside you they want to be part of it and mm. some of them come and go like they you know they definitely don't all stay forever but a lot of them do because they just resonate with that mission and they resonate with who you are and they resonate with what you are trying to achieve in the world and or what you are achieving in the world, I should say. And they go, okay, I want to be part of that. Mm. And then as that grows and expands, like I said, some drop off because they're not willing to run at that level and others jump in. You know, the people who get you to a million dollars will not be the people who get you past it. Yeah. Someone said that to me and I didn't believe it, didn't believe it. And literally, you know, three or four months after we hit the million dollar mark for the year, the first time, they just left. And yeah, I was like, wow. oh, okay, because you get on this growth trajectory and some people are ready for it and some people are not. Yeah. Wow. How fascinating. Yeah.
So good. And I think sometimes like we, it's, it's such a true conversation around the time thing, because like I was saying this to someone the other day of like, you think you don't have time, but you have actually have the most time now, like in this moment, because if you continue to grow, you're going to get less and less and less and less and less. And so like, if you think you don't have time now, it's time to outsource because like, what the hell? But I think the other thing I, I'd love for you to explore is like, it's acknowledging like what is really important to you and your business. So obviously by the sounds of it, you are like, well, I really value that one-on-one connection. I value being the person that's available because when you're speaking on stages and these people aren't responding to you or interacting with you, you're like, well, I don't want to be like that. So how am I not like that in my business? Yeah. So I guess like it's actually determining, I guess, the type of business that you run of like what's important to you and what you want to continue to uphold and then allow others to come in and support other parts of the business. And if you break it down similarly to a wheel of life, for example, and you go, well, what are the segments of my business? Like, okay, there's the back end. I don't even know what happens in the back end. Like, actually, <laughs> let me tell you, you can run a multi-million dollar business and have no idea about any of the tech stuff. So for all of you beautiful heart-centered people who are really keen on people, you don't have to know. You don't have to know how, like I've learned how to use Canva this year and <laughs> I'm still really bad at it, right? I just, just show up and do the thing you're good at and get someone else to do the thing that you don't know how to do. You know, yeah. I, I don't know how to do spreadsheets. I I occasionally no, go into that. <laughs> And I, I, yeah, I'm not interested at all in the spreadsheets. I'm interested in the results of the spreadsheets, just not interested in looking at the spreadsheet. Um, there, are, there are things that I have no idea about that happen in my business and the outcome is what I'm interested in. And so, you know, in the beginning, I remember our CFO was like, are you happy if I do it like this and like this? I'm like, I don't know. As long as you can get it so that I have these numbers at the end and they're accurate and you can work with my accountant, that's what I need. Yeah, And she's like, okay. And they figured out their whole system on their own. Sometimes putting your fingers in the pie ruins the pie. hundred percent. They're much more qualified at that. They're great at it. You know, don't ask me a question that you're the expert in. Yeah. Yeah. The hardest thing to hand over was my women's pillar. So the whole, I started in retreats and women's circles before I'd done any of the NLP work and it eventually got to the point where I just could not invest the time running a free circle and, you know, supporting yeah. women who are just at the very beginning of their journey. And I didn't want to let it go. I was like, this is so important. Like, this was what I needed when I was abused. This is what I needed. And I want to keep it because I want to honor those women. And we, we went through probably two or three people that weren't quite right. And the woman that's running our women's space, so we have a whole other business called the women's space. Um, the woman that's running that is so incredible. She's so heart-centered. She loves it. She's now got a team of three people. You know, we're expanding to events all over Australia and it's just perfect. Mm. And I just get to breeze in sometimes and just be like, oh, look, it's so pretty and so beautiful and so feminine. And then I breeze out and go back to doing my thing. Yeah. And and I love that if you have faith and you can let go of control, someone else can actually do it better than you. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, and I used to just men's one of, too, right? Yeah. So we have a um a men's group that runs on the Gold Coast, and it's literally a drop-in group. There was a lot of men that were coming through our trainings, and they were saying that they'd been to a men's group, but it was all rah rah, yell and scream, quite spiritual based, and really what they wanted was someone to talk to. 
Yeah. And so we just have a group that meets on, I think it's every second Thursday now on the Gold Coast. And the men in the in our team run that. And mm-hmm. it's literally un, unprogrammed, unscripted. It's turn up, let's sit and have a chat. Yeah, and so good. It's basically like going to the pub without alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> um, like so needed. Yeah. 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 And so it's really great for the men that go along. They really enjoy it. And it keeps them in community with each other as well. And when we think about the mission of our business, like the mission of our, of well, my mission is to allow men to be men again mm. in order that women can feel safe in order that children grow up in beautiful homes. Oh, absolutely. That's got goosebumps. And so you can't just focus on the women. No. Like you have to do all of it. And Same so, way that we have to focus on balancing the masculine and the feminine within us, correct. right? Like it's all got to work. Yeah, a whole lot of it. And so the big mission's huge. You know, what I do is sometimes not reflective of the mission because people can't see the whole picture. And so when I'm running an LP, it may seem like a lot of, for a lot of it, in especially in prac, I'm quite in the masculine. Once you get to master prac, however, you see it, you see the beautiful feminine parts of me, you see that spirituality, you see the guidedness, you see the channeling, you see this whole spiritual being. And what that allows people to do is, first of all, you know, release the shackles of programming in practitioner, start to get some drive and run their life effectively and then they come into master prac and just totally get to love on themselves and recognize how far they've come in and i love that Mm, so good and it's that permission as well to be it's okay to be in the feminine and not have to be in the go 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 masculine all the time yeah Yeah. so yeah and i want to assure people like you can definitely run a business in the feminine and the way you do that is when it starts feeling masculine again hire someone yes so if you feel like you're just you know if, if you're working completely in the business and you never have time to work on the business, you're never getting that perspective of that, what we would call in NLP, the third perceptual position. So you never get that overarching view where you can look at everything and go, hang on, there's a challenge there. Let's redirect and move here because you're so in it. Mm. So you want to get support enough that you can take that bird's eye view, look at it all and go, okay, cool. I know the next move because the person at the front of a business is not a lot of people refer to the person at the, at the front as the arrow tip on the arrow. That's not where the person on the front should be. The person on the front should be the air in front of the tip of the arrow. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Cause that way they can move in whatever direction they need to. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I need to like <laughs> bring it back down, but of course, otherwise we'll be here for seven hours. Um, so I'd love for you just to finish off with sharing if there's any one or two little things that you would say to business owners who are wanting to stay in the feminine or wanting to lead more with their heart, or they're finding it challenging to balance that masculine and feminine being in that heart space or leading with love, what are two things that you do on a regular basis to tune back in or to allow yourself to get, come back to that place of love, be able to run your business? Yeah, I'm really, really strict with my self-care time. So one day a week, I have no, no one can put anything in my calendar. If I choose on that day to work, then that might be what serves my self-care at that time. However, it is working on the business, not in it. Uh, I'm really, I schedule all my holidays in first. 
So holidays go into my calendar first. And a lot of people go, oh, that's great. You've got a lot of money. You can, you know, no, just schedule your holidays in first because you can holiday at home. You can holiday in your backyard. Just schedule some time because without your own time to be you, you'll lose sight of who you are, let alone of what your mission is. Mm. You know, I think it's really important to take at least two days a year, even if you're just starting out, where you sit down and rewrite your vision and rewrite your mission because a lot of people go you know there's that Simon Sinek thing about why right and your why is important your how is equally important if you know the goal of business business as a word the goal of that is to make money right a business doesn't survive if you don't make money however the way that you do it so the how is so important because Mm -hmm. People will throw money at you if you push forward in the masculine. However, people will willingly continually invest with you if you're in the feminine. You know, it's easy to be uh, hurry up, make money, and it's literally a flash in the pan, and that's why a lot of businesses don't survive the five-year mark. However, if you are someone who can truly honour yourself and truly honour others, then people will invest in you over and over again And there's so much more financial gain and benefit from people who stay in your value ladder than there is in trying to find a new person to invest. Mm. And so for me, that's where that nurturing piece comes in. I employ three whole people um, who are actually employees, not contractors, to nurture our students. So they get calls for, for however long they sign up before our training, they get calls monthly. And then as we get closer to, once we get four months out, they start getting fortnightly calls and then two months out, they get weekly calls. Um, I think that's the schedule. It might be slightly different to that, but it's something along those lines. And they get called by our team and the team writes those notes. And when I go and look at someone, I can see their whole trajectory without me having to contact them yet. Then they come in the room, they get to meet me. We get to spend time together. And after that, I'm totally there. Right. And I, th- I think that's so important. There are so many stories I hear of people in personal development that have invested all they had and then not had an outcome mm. because they had no support afterwards. And yeah. for me, that's super important. Now, having said that, not everyone believes you. Right? When you say that to students, they don't all believe you. And so often you'll get three months down the track and someone will go, well, three months ago, I really needed help and there was no one there. It's like, did you ask? Yeah, (laughs) there's a level of self-responsibility that has to come into play. However, from coming from that heart space, if you're running a business, remember that the goal of the business is to make money, but the mission and the vision are something that are very personal to you. And if you stay true to your mission and vision, then you will create a business, like I said, that has longevity of customers which makes it much easier to make larger amounts of money when people are reinvesting instead of you having to put money into trying to get people in. It will also help create community because Mm. you're part of your own community. You believe in what you've created. You're, you know, you're deeply rooted in the mission. Um, And also if you, if you truly do it from a heart space, when people ask you, for a refund because I think this is something that people find in small business they when they first get asked they feel bad and they think they have to give a refund get your terms and conditions set up in a way that allows people to honor their decisions 
right? And refunds are not allowing people to honour their decision. A lot mm. of people go, oh, but that's their decision is to have a refund. No, they made a decision to work with you and it's only their fear that's holding them back. Yeah. And so stop giving away refunds unless there's an actual adequate reason. Like if someone gets cancer and they can no longer participate, absolutely 100% give them a refund, you know. However, if it's something like, oh, I, I just, it's not feeling aligned anymore. Like that excuse, it doesn't happen to me anymore. It did used to happen in the beginning. That doesn't happen anymore. Everyone's super aware of our policies and the way that we operate. And what happens is even people who go, I don't know if I want to come anymore. Can I have a refund? And we say no. Once they get in that training room, they get exactly what they came for. And they are so grateful and so glad that we held them to their decision. Yeah. So there's different ways of loving people that might not look like love initially, but just recognize your intention in it all. Mm. Like if your intention is to help them, then help them. Yeah. Cause you're holding space for them to be, it's be okay in that fear, right? Like it's yes. natural, especially in what you do. And especially what I do, like there is that element of fear of like, Oh shit, something's going to change. And that's scary. And so like holding them in that space of like, it's okay to feel the fear, but don't go against what you had chosen. Right. Because yeah. you you make a difference yeah yeah and as soon as they step through that fear gate they change already yeah yeah 100 yeah. okay one last thing yeah what's something that you would say to a business owner that would like to take their business to the next level what's one thing that they could do um oh, i've got more than one answer for that so the Go first one, the first one is keep going like a lot of people ask me what's my best business advice the advice is keep going you cannot fail if you keep going you can only fail if you stop you know so first of all keep going and, rec- and recognize that the path isn't straight. So what you're choosing to do now may not be what you are doing next year and be okay with those goal shifts that happen along the way. Mm. You know, I was running a business for women that was all going to be about women. Now it's for everyone. And I never thought that I would want to work with men. I just thought they were scary and not people who I wanted to hang out with particularly. Yet some of the men's work I do is phenomenal. Like, you know, it's, it's such an honor to be able to do that. So the path's not always straight. Allow yourself to move across it within reason without getting off focus. And in terms of how, what's the one thing they can do to grow their business is know your numbers. A lot of heart, particularly heart-centered business owners, they do not have a clue about their numbers. Avoid them like a plague. <laughs> so important to know your numbers because you cannot grow what you don't know. Yeah. 100% agree. And I, I honestly think it's like what you were just talking about before of like, that's the masculine side. And then it gives you the structure so the feminine can absolutely be in that love and space, right? Like it's, and trust that intuition and do the things that you need to do in order to be that person, right? So yeah. it needs that both. So I love that advice. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to operate from the feminine, operate from the divine feminine. Yes. Where you can easily flow between masculine and feminine at any point. Yeah. Which is like a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and probably a huge we needed to hear that we'll know yes absolutely thank you so much for bringing your incredible heart and wisdom and everything to this call today i really appreciate it it's been such a joy speaking with you today thank you i've had a really great time amazing i'll make sure that i pop everything in the show notes everyone can connect with you on social media if they want to check out your NLP, nlp training next year they can check that out speaker training happening in june like all the things happening if you want to check it out head to elizabeth ann's uh social media and check it out there Thank you, Christine. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Next Level Life podcast. 
I'd love to hear any takeaways that you've had from today's episode, so please share with me on Instagram and Facebook. And if you feel so moved, please pass this episode on to any friends or family that you feel may benefit from it. Looking forward to speaking with you next week, and here's to taking your life to the next level.